So it's a classic and often repeated story of a man who is shipwrecked and he's the only survivor. He ends up on this island and he's there for not days and weeks and months, but he's there for years and he has to carve out a life for himself. And he's there for so long, he builds his own, not just home, but his own little village out of a variety of different huts. There's kind of the little shelter that he created that kind of serves as his storehouse and there's all of these other little places that he's lived. And eventually, he is, comes and he's rescued. And when they rescue him, they're amazed at kind of what he has created and what he's built. And he gives them a little tour. He says, this is the place where I would prepare my food and I would cook my food. This is the place where I would sleep. This is the place where, where I would even try to, to, to stay fit and to exercise this is the place where I would even pray and kind of worship God. And he showed them all the different little places and buildings and structures. And then there was this one little hut, this one little structure off to the side that he didn't tell them anything about. And so they said, what about that little building over there? What's that? He says, I don't like to talk about that. And they said, well, what is it? And he said, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> we live in a world of strife and chaos and conflict, disagreement, dissolution, and even division. And the question is, how can you and I live faithfully as God's ambassadors even in the midst of those types of conflicts? We're going to do that today, and I'm going to ask you by turning in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, I have to warn you that as we're about to do this, that you are about to drink from the fire hose this morning, and that we are going to fly through a variety of different scripture passages. So turn to Acts chapter 4, and let, while you're turning there, let me remind you of what we're doing in this series. This series that we're in this whole year is called Quest. We're exploring the whole story of God together. We're walking through the whole Bible. In the fall, we've been in the New Testament where we've looked at the ministry of Jesus and Jesus as Messiah. And we're in this section now where we are looking at the mission of Jesus and how it is expanding in the early church. And today we are going to focus in, the camera is going to zoom in on one person. His name is Barnabas. And his name appears 34 times in the Old Testament. And what I want you to hear from me today is that without Barnabas, you and I probably would not be where we are right now. Barnabas appears on the scene in Acts chapter 4, starting in the 36th verse. says this, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of what? encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And so what we see right here out of the gate is we learn just a couple of things about, we learn a couple of things about Barnabas, that he has a nickname, and that his nickname is that of son of encouragement. And we, we learn about him that he's from the island of Cyprus. So we just learn a couple of things about him, but we also learn about him in the flow of the narrative that it says that the early church is marked by its generosity. And yet not everybody is generous. You remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira and how they tried to lie to God and that didn't end well? 
It's every preacher's favorite stewardship message and story is to tell the story of Ananias and Sapphira. The story that's right before Ananias and Sapphira is the story of the introduction here of Barnabas and how he does the opposite of Ananias and Sapphira. That he sells a piece of property and he brings all of that and the proceeds for the work of the kingdom and the mission. That's the first thing that we learn about Barnabas. The second time we see Barnabas is all the way, skip in your Bibles ahead, to Acts chapter 9. We're going to be starting in the 26th verse. And in Acts chapter 9, what we're about to see is that right after Saul is knocked down on the road to Damascus by Jesus, is struck blind, Ananias heals him, and then Saul begins to preach in Damascus, is almost killed, and is brought to Jerusalem. Saul's brought to Jerusalem, and here's where Barnabas enters the scene. Acts chapter 9, verse 26. When Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Makes sense, because he was murdering them. Not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. So we talked about in Acts chapter 4 how Barnabas had all of this enormous credibility that he is all in and he pushes all of the chips to the table of his credibility with the apostle Saul. And now he is saying, you need to understand this person is a student of Jesus just like us. And borrowing from Barnabas's credibility the disciples begin the process of accepting Saul. Now, one of the things that happens is that even though that Saul begins to preach right away, it doesn't go well and people want to kill him. And so Saul goes away. And he goes away for not a day or a week or a month. He goes away for years. Saul goes to Arabia for a short period of time, down to Mount Sinai, and then to Tarsus. There's a 10-year gap between the moment of the story that we just read and what the verses that we're about to look at. This is Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 22. And here's what happens. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the grace that God had done, he was glad, and he encouraged them all, living up to his namesake, he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to where? to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught the great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. In other words, Saul left and went back to Tarsus, even though he had had this experience with the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ. And then the gospel begins to take root in Antioch, but they need somebody to help to lead and to make sense for what's going on in this gospel movement with Jesus. They didn't understand it. And they were asking themselves, who can help us to make heads or tails of what's going on? And they decide that they want Saul to come back to help them. And whom do they send in order to try to convince Saul to leave the family business 
and to come to Antioch to help for the better part of a year, they send Barnabas. And so Barnabas convinces Saul to come to Antioch, and they're there for a year doing the work of the ministry. While they're there, after about a year, it seems that there is going to be a famine that is going to be particularly impactful and severe in Jerusalem. So the believers in Antioch take up an offering in order to be able to extend the generosity of the gospel to the people in Jerusalem. They take up this offering. Whom do they trust with this offering? They trust Barnabas and Saul. Acts chapter 11, verse 29. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. They did this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. You really had to trust someone to give them. It's not like you could deposit the bank and then they could go to the Bank of Jerusalem and then make withdrawal. You entrusted them with this gift and they took it all the way to Jerusalem to demonstrate the work of God's good news back in Jerusalem. And then here's what happens in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 25. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, the first mission that they had done there to Jerusalem at that point, they returned from Jerusalem taking with them, and this is going to be an important detail you're not going to miss, John also called Mark. And so they finished the generosity mission in Jerusalem, and then they return back to Antioch, but now they've got a companion called Mark, or sometimes referred to as John Mark. John Mark is Barnabas's cousin. So he's got a young family member who's now tagging along. So they get back to Antioch. Are you still tracking with me right now? I told you this was going to be a fire hose. So they get back to Antioch, which is north of Jerusalem, and they get there. It was in Syria at the time, what is now modern-day Turkey. And they get back to Antioch, and they decide that they're going to go on the first missionary journey. Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 2. Look at this with me. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. I want to show you a picture of what the first missionary journey looked like as far as a map goes. So there is Antioch, again in ancient Syria, modern day Turkey, and they head off. What's the first place that they go? What's the island that's called there? Cyprus. Where is Barnabas from? Cyprus. They're riding Barnabas's coattails in relationship as they go there. They make their way through Cyprus and then eventually they head up back up the Mediterranean Sea to this area of Pamphylia as they get back up into that area. It is at that point where John Mark can't take it anymore. And Mark uh, says, you know what? This is getting a little hard. I'm out. And so he taps out and he leaves them. He abandons them. And so Saul and Barnabas are the only two that finish the ministry journey. They get back to Antioch, and when they get back to Antioch, they've worked really hard, they've helped to try to establish churches, but not as all well in the Antioch church when they return, because there's a whole lot of conflict. The major first conflict in the church is over the question as to whether or not someone has to become Jewish in order to become Christian, whether or not they have to become circumcised. 
And so here's what happens in chapter 15. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you were circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you can't be saved. And this brought Paul and Barnabas, because Paul has changed his name now from Saul to Paul, Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. And so Paul and Barnabas, they're going to travel again, were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. You have here the first great controversy and council. And what you need to understand about this, had Paul and Barnabas not gone down to Jerusalem to help to settle this matter, you and I would not be sitting in churches today. Because what might have reigned in that moment or ruled in that moment is that you had to become Jewish in order to be saved, to be in the Messiah. And that you had to enter in through that door. And the gospel would not have spread. And so Paul and Barnabas head back to Antioch with the glow of having won the day for the gospel At the first Jerusalem council, they've had this amazing time on the first missionary journey. They've survived it. They've helped to start to plant churches. The church is supposedly thriving in Antioch, and they have saved the day. And so they go back to Antioch, and don't you think they've earned a little bit of vacation? And don't you think it ought to be a little easy period of time? Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. And Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Let's keep reading. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Sicilia and strengthening the churches. One more slide. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named who? Timothy lived. All right, everybody take a deep breath. (sighs) You've made it. No more Sunday school lesson. But let me tell you why this is important. What we get to is one of the more remarkable partnerships that's ever been recorded in history and in the Bible. And did you see how easily it unraveled? You see how much that Barnabas had invested into Saul, now Paul, how close, how they had traveled, how they had worked, how they had been side by side through thick and thin, through persecution, through people worshiping him, through all of that kind of stuff, and then it fractures. And what happens in that moment is a source of great sadness for anybody who's reading the Bible plainly, because why on earth did it fall apart? And as we start to think about applying this, 
Have you ever had a relationship fall apart? Have you ever said, that's a friend that I used to have? That's a coworker that I used to have? That's a neighbor that I used to have? Relationships sometimes come to an end. Psychologist Henry Cloud has written a book that's called Necessary Endings. And in applying this text, I want us to think about how the relationship of Paul and Barnabas came to a necessary end and what you and I might need to learn from it to see how God still works even in our brokenness. And so the first thing that we need to understand in a necessary ending is that we need to be honest. We need to be honest. One of the things that I love about the the book of Acts is that it's not written as propaganda. It doesn't try to cover up all the warts and the difficulties of what happened in the early church. The author of the book of Acts is a guy by the name of Luke. He's the same one who wrote the gospel of Luke. Acts is really the gospel part two continued the revenge. And so in Acts, what we see is that Luke is recording the history. Luke doesn't meet Barnabas and Saul or any of them till after, till after the moment that we just read. And Luke becomes one of Paul's most trusted traveling companions. Does Luke throw Barnabas under the bus? Nope. Does Luke throw Paul under the bus? Nope. But does he try to hide the story and cover it up to make the Gospels and to make the disciples look better? Nope. He records this public disgrace and says, this is what happened. One of the things that Paul will tell us later is he will say that you and I are to put off falsehood and to speak truthfully to our neighbor for we are all one body. And if there's going to be any any healing or growth that comes from our conflicts and from things falling apart, it has to start with that first step that you and I are honest. The second key to a necessary ending is that you and I are not only to be honest, but that we are to be gracious. I hope you noticed that in verse 40 in in your text there that it talked about, even in the midst of this struggle, that that the early church in Antioch still covered this moment with the grace of God, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. Later, Paul will say, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. Later, Paul will say, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another as the Lord in Christ has forgiven you. In other words, we need to not only be truth-tellers when things come to an end, we also need to be living out of the reservoir of God's grace. And so is there any bitterness or anger or malice that you need to let go of right now? 
Is there any forgiving from a necessary ending that happened in your life? And so the first thing to a necessary ending is to be honest. The second thing is to be gracious. And then the third thing to do is to regroup. And what I mean by that is is that Paul doesn't take his ball and go home and go away and slink back to Tarsus. No, he, in the midst of what had to have been a very painful departure and split in friendship, he reaches out. He reaches out to Timothy, he reaches out to Silas, and he reaches out to Luke. Paul continues to develop a gospel-centered community, and so does Barnabas as he reincorporates Mark back into the gospel. We will see how this is significant in a minute. And so the first thing that we have to do is to be honest. The second thing we have to do is to be gracious. The third thing that we want to do is to not slip into isolation, but to regroup, to gather with other people. And then the fourth thing that we want to do is, in a necessary ending, is to repair. I know what you're thinking. That's not practical. I'm not telling you that the relationship has to go back to the way that it was before. I'm not telling you that reconciliation is always possible to the point where you pick up right back up where you left off. But if we believe anything about the God who has repaired our souls and our lives and forgiven us, don't you think that you and I ought to make every effort to repair The Apostle Paul later will write, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Are you making every effort? Are you using every bit of your power to make peace? Paul would refer to his ministry later as a ministry of reconciliation, and this is not just fanciful words. This actually happens within the story that we have. Because you see, did you notice in the conflict, the original conflict, that Paul didn't really have a beef with Barnabas, that Paul had a beef with John Mark because John Mark had abandoned them, that that was really what the rift was about. And what we get to see in multiple places later in the story is that Paul and Mark have worked things out. In other words, in Philemon 23 and 24, um, what we discover is is that Paul refers to John Mark as his fellow co-worker. And then in Colossians 4 verse 10, it says this, My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greeting as does whom? Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him, and if he comes to you, throw him in a jail, cast him out, No, welcome him. In fact, in probably one of the last things that Paul wrote in 2 Timothy, when he's giving those final instructions, the the famous come before winter speech, when, when Paul's saying that, he says, please send Mark to me because he's been so helpful to me in my ministry. Why is this going to be so important? Why is the repair so important? In your Bibles, I want you to flip a little earlier in your Bibles to the Gospels, and there's the four Gospels. There's Matthew, 
and there's Luke, and there's John, and then there's another one in there that's called what? Mark. That's the same Mark. Do you think it was important for Mark and for Paul to get their act together and get on the same page? The relationship got repaired. And to the best of our knowledge, Mark traveled with Peter to Rome. And so in a necessary ending, be honest, be gracious, regroup, repair, and most of all, move forward, forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead. I imagine, like me, when you were a child, that you learned how to ride your bicycle. And do you remember what it was like to try to ride your bicycle for the first time? It's, you know, if people say you can't unlearn how to ride a bicycle, that once you've known, known you know how to do it, you could get back on your bike and you could ride the bicycle. But when you were a young boy or a young girl, do you remember how scary it was to sit on that, that the training wheels were gone and you were trying? And I remember, I would watch other people ride their bike. I remember being a little boy and I'd sit on the bike and I'd have my feet down and I'd pick my feet up and I'd put them on the pedals. And what would you do? <laughs> Fall over. And my grandfather, who was a bald, five-foot-eight Irish guy, would look at me and he would just keep hitting his bald head and he would just tell me as a boy, he said, you're never going to learn this if you don't know how to move forward. And he said to me, you have a choice. You can go forward or you can fall off. And do you know what he did? He grabbed that seat and he would run with me to give me the momentum in order for me to pedal to get a feeling for it. And I'd be looking over my shoulder. I'd be like, you're still there, right? And he's like, I'm still here. And he'd be running and he's running next to me. To me and I'm like, you're still there. And he's like, I'm still here. And I'm pedaling and I'm starting to get a sense for it. And I, I said, you're still there. And I didn't hear anything. And I looked back and he was way back in the block. What did I do? No, I didn't fall over. I went around the cul-de-sac and I came back in a triumph. How little do you think of your pastor? <laughs> All I needed was the nudge and to keep going. My friends, this is the map of that first missionary journey and had they not handled this necessary ending in a gospel sort of way, this might have been where it stopped. But it's not where it stopped. Here's a map of where Christianity is prominent today. A mission that keeps on going. And here's a picture of our own mission field here in this city. A city that's filled with disagreements and division and to some degree how we handle things that have been ending and figuring out how to put the pieces together will be the determining factor of what the gospel will do in our time. I know I have thrown a lot at you, so let me summarize it with one of my great, fun little discoveries this week. Barnabas is not his real name. It's a nickname. 
Do you remember what his given name was? It's Joseph. What does Joseph mean? God will increase. God will add. Here's what it is. God will increase when his people become sons and daughters of encouragement. So keep moving. Be honest. Be gracious. Regroup. Repair. And move forward, church. Let's pray. Our loving God and Father, we thank you for the incredible intricacy and wisdom of this story. Help us to be a people who are not just defined by our conflict and our division, but help us to figure out how to live faithfully in the midst of it. And so will you turn unlikely co-workers and estranged people into deep and abiding friends, and will you use us even in the midst of the brokenness? Give us Give us the integrity and the generosity of a Barnabas. Help us to be all in and to use our credibility for the sake of the gospel. Help us to be the kind of people that people can rely on. And so God, give us the ability to express honest, gracious, and repairing words where we don't give up and we don't despair and we don't lose the mission Help us, O God, to know that we'll never learn if we're just standing still. And so move us forward in faith so that you will increase and that we become your sons and daughters of encouragement. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said.